Good evening. Welcome to the Western Standards, The Pipeline. I'm Corey Morgan. This is our weekly panel show where a number of us from the Western Standard will pick out a few issues, chat about them, dissect them, analyze them, and uh, give our views on them. And uh, there's always lots to choose from. So before I get rolling, though, I'm going to start with uh, recognizing our sponsor. This is how we can have these independent shows. This is how we can talk about these sorts of things, guys. It's uh, the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. They are a, a fantastic organization. They're standing up for your rights. I mean, we've got a government that is obsessed with taking away your rights. One of those rights is the right to own and utilize firearms, of course, safely, responsibly. We always have. But the government wants to take that away from you. The Canadian Shooting Sports Association is standing up on your behalf to make sure you can maintain that right. But they can't do it if you don't help them. So you got to check them out. Canadian Shooting Sports Association, their website, cssa-cila.org. you got to take out a membership. It's not that much, and it's well worth it. It's an investment in your freedoms. Also, be sure to take out a subscription to the Western Standard. This is how we do it, guys. This is how C18 and the rest doesn't matter. As long as you guys are subscribing to us, we can bypass the government attempts to control the information to you. $9.99 a month, $100 for a year, guys. Just like an old newspaper subscription. It supports us and gets you past that pesky paywall. Go to westernstandard.news slash membership and uh, sign up. We really appreciate it. And if you've already have, thank you very much. All right, so there's the three of us today. We've got lined up to talk about the issues. Our opinion editor, Nigel Hannaford, how you doing? I am doing great. Good. Nice to be here again. Corey. Yeah, well, it's, it's a miserable outside. We might as well be indoors say, talking it, about it, things standing today. out in the snow. This is a good time to be indoor workers. And we have our news editor, Dave Naylor, at the end of the table there. I'm doing well too, Corey. Right on. <laughs> Yes, the glasses come off, the hands the glasses go down. Come off, the hands go down, the voice starts booming. Yeah, it's all good. Good. Those go on and off. Yes, yeah. we have our, our tells. It would be terrible at poker. So I guess we'll start. And this just, just came out today. Uh, you know, maybe a little later for those watching the recorded version of this, guys. But uh, Daniel Smith spoke to the Edmonton Chamber of Commerce and uh, put out a, a sort of State of the Province uh, release. Yes, yeah, a State of the Yearly State of the Province. Uh, oh. Uh, not 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 much new in there. there. There's no major announcements or anything like that. It was a it was basically a rundown on uh, uh, what she's accomplished in her in her first year, uh, saying that you know, she's she wants to make Alberta the the best place to do business in the country, lowering taxes and and uh, red tape and, and and all that sort of good stuff. Um, but you know some ominous warnings too that she expects the. Uh, the battle with the feds to uh, continue over their uh, their climate change plan. So uh, delivered to the Edmonton Chamber of Commerce uh, before a packed house. And uh, uh, so yeah, sadly, it didn't really have any big stuff in it, Nigel. Well, it, it, it depends how you define big, doesn't it? I huge, mean, actually, huge. If you, if, you, if you go out there and say that you are expecting the senior level of government to do everything that it can to attack you and to undermine your purposes, and you saying it are the premier of the province, that's pretty significant. I mean, also, she's not wrong. You can just watch what's going on, on the, in the Twitter sphere between um, uh, Environment Minister Gibault and uh, our own provincial uh, minister, uh, uh, Schultz. You know, it's, uh, it's this endless one-upmanship. But if you if you kind of take one step back from the actual issue of uh, of, of uh, 
zero emission grid by 2035, which is what this is ostensibly all about. Take one step back from that. How very convenient it is for Ottawa to have a Western bogeyman as we are now just slightly less than two years from the next scheduled election. They love this. They're going to they're gonna milk it to death. You bet they're going to keep attacking and they're going to tell the people in central Canada and further east that they're sticking up for you against the, the rebels in uh, the rebels in, in Alberta and possibly Saskatchewan as well. Well, to be honest, that bogeyman goes both ways, though. I mean, politically, it serves Premier Smith quite well to be able to have a foil in Ottawa that you can always point to and the much-loathed Justin Trudeau, mm-hmm. and, and to keep telling voters, uh, we're going to stand up for you against uh, the the nasty uh, socialists or uh, at least uh, environmentally ideological uh, government in, in Ottawa. It's almost a, I, I know neither would like to ever admit it, but they, they actually uh, complement each other in the political sense. Yeah, and the, Trudeau's plunging in the, in the polls. Nothing he does is, is right. It all turns to crap these days. So that that's obviously going to be his major election issue. He's mm-hmm. going to pit Alberta uh, as the bogeyman and the rest of Canada. Uh, government of Ontario today, uh, Corey, uh, wrote a letter to the Liberals saying, you know, you got to put a stop to this uh, Alberta leaving the Canada pension plan uh, because it would hurt people in Ontario. And it would hurt them in the pocketbooks by having to cover more of the uh, the premiums. So, can, uh, Alberta as public enemy number one fits lovely for what Trudeau would like to see and do. Yeah, and that's actually going to be a tough one for Pierre Polliver to stick handle too, isn't it? Yeah, well, he's already said that uh, Alberta should stay, uh, so he's made his position uh, pretty clear. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, and I think Ontario is just going to be the first of many provinces. Uh, you know, Saskatchewan has said they're not overly enthused by it. Uh, so uh, I think uh, I think Alberta could be sitting out there on its own for a while. Well, it's been sitting out there on its own for a long time, actually. If you, if, if, it's if got you, a new role for us. <laughs> yeah, if you if you go to the numbers and you look at how much, never mind the Canada Pension Plan, just for a moment but just in terms of the over-contribution of revenues to the running of this country by Alberta, I mean, it's a staggering amount of money. I think it's something like $600 billion over over 60 years or something. I'd say. Yeah, to the equalization. That's just yeah. equalization. That's just equalization. We take everything. I think it comes in close to $27 billion a year right now or something like that. Yeah. Contributing more than we're getting back in services or transfers. Or anything. So now, if you then say, okay, fine, you said step back from the CPP plan for a moment. Okay, let's step back into it. And you look at something that has had the effect of Alberta, after all the overpayments on equalization and revenues in and revenues out, also over keeps the rest of the country going, makes it possible for Ontario to pay less by Alberta paying more uh, for the for the pension plan, maybe the numbers aren't as maybe the numbers are open to discussion. I mean, we would expect uh, Premier Smith to put forward her best argument when she initially announced the uh, the consultations on the plan. So, but if she if that was correct, Alberta is probably. Uh, put in about half of the money that the Canada Pension Plan has for investment purposes. That's how much we have overpaid. And everybody thinks that's just fine. No, no change needed here. 
Well, I guess not. No, if I was in Ontario, I wouldn't want to. <laughs> I wouldn't want to. It doesn't it. make it right, though. No, absolutely not. Well, some people are certainly waking up. I, I mean, they've had to admit, albeit indirectly, that yes, Alberta has been subsidizing us for our pension for some mm -hmm. years now, and we will be in serious trouble if they stop doing so. But I don't think that helps, in my view. Of course, I'm biased as an Albertan, but it helps in the discussion because it's supposed to be a pension plan, not a wealth redistribution plan, not an equalization plan. So if it's unduly hitting Alberta, then it should either be fixed or Alberta should get out. Yeah, and the good thing is, it's it's brought to the attention of the public eye, uh, because when the you know when the voter in uh, in Toronto or St. John's or Vancouver realizes that it's going to cost them more, uh, they're going to you know certainly look into the issue and see what's going on, and and hopefully they can see that Alberta's paid way more than their fair share. So getting back to that state of the province, I noticed actually one of the things through omission in a sense that uh, Premier Smith didn't touch the pension plan whatsoever through the, the, that uh, yeah, I noticed that. speech. I, I, I wonder whether that was um, intentional. Well, I'm sure it was intentional. I wonder why. And I, I guess they, they still have the committee going around the province taking the, the, pulse, of the, uh, the pulse of the people on that. So maybe a further, uh, a further reference to it at this point wouldn't be particularly useful, never mind helpful. Sorry, I, don't no, no. I, I think the whole rollout by, uh, by the UCP has been a bit of a mess. Uh, you know, town halls, okay, we're going we're gonna to hear from, Al, uh, from Albertans, but they didn't do town halls, they did telephone meetings. Uh, so you don't get that sort of sense of the mood of the people. The NDP says they've got a 30,000 name petition uh, with the vast majority uh, in the 90s saying that, that, that they're against it. So I think, and they've lost uh, some of the, the big columnists in the mainstream media are already uh, tweeting that it's, a, or writing that it's a bad thing. So I think right now the, the, the idea of the Alberta pension plan is losing the battle of public opinion. I got a, did you get a, did you get a sheet in your mail yesterday at home? I may have. Yeah, you'd know as a, by the size of a shoebox and blue and Pension plan everywhere. I don't tend to check the mail because it just brings bad news. It's usually and bills. bills. <laughs> yes, you need to get better friends, Dave. Yes, exactly. Well, getting further to that, though, she did focus a lot on, on opening Alberta for business and, and so on. Something I saw, and I don't know, this might have already been there, and she's reannouncing, or if this is something new. But uh, you know, the the small government guy in me started to wonder about this. She was talking about like a twelve percent subsidy on petrochemicals, uh, capital subsidy um, if they're going to use natural gas in their projects. Uh, just deviates a little bit, I guess, from, you know, total free market things, protecting you from Ottawa, but at the same time, when you start poking into the subsidy realm, I get a little nervous when you start doing that. Well, look, politics, eh? Yeah, they'll uh, never... <laughs> remember how just before Christmas it was announced that uh, certain qualified demographics would get $100 a month. Um, that's not the Danielle Smith I remember from the editorial board 20 years ago, but that is very much what politicians do four or five months before an election. Uh, you know, hand some money out. By the way, it's perfectly rational. It's taxpayer money. You help the people who need the help. But uh, at the same time, uh, it was a step. It, it prepares me for news like we are giving money to petrochemical companies to persuade them to use petrochemicals. Wow. 
Yes, yeah. of course. <laughs> <laughs> Government and business doesn't lie. Uh, uh, they just don't seem to learn that lesson. Stuff. I understand the why. Yeah. I just don't have to like it. And I, I still think it's a bit incumbent on us to make sure we call, point it out and call them out a little bit. Oh, don't yeah. start drifting into there too far, guys. Oh, well, you've got a column coming up on Sunday. I I, I, I sense the ire already. Not on that one, but I, I could build if I saw more <laughs> more evidence of it. Uh, something that sounded good out of it, though, that I think most of us can agree on, was just talking about the red tape reduction and the initiatives, and, and there was actually a, a claim of some figures on what Well, 2.8 billion. How did they calculate yeah. that? I don't know. Well, That's a good question. Don't look at me. I failed math. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I will give credit to the UCB, even under Jason Kenney. They, they did really well in cutting red tape. Uh, and they had a minister. That was his entire job. So, uh, you know, he seems to have done a good thing. And, uh, yeah, again, it's more, it's just the, you know, you can cut all the red tape you want, but until you have to deal with the feds, uh, you know, that red tape is staying, which is the big problem. Yeah. Well, and actually, municipally, some of the, the red tape can be horrific too. But I mean, any level is welcome. I, I know as uh, managing the, the businesses I had in the MD of Foothills or mm -hmm. County now, and Oh, the, the county was terrible to deal with some of their ridiculous regulations and licensing and crap we had to go through. But, uh, well, if, if I've got less to deal with with the province, it gives me more time to deal with the other levels of government that are uh, getting on my case. Well, you know, it's, it's worth going after. I remember years and years ago uh, writing a story on the difference between getting a well approval to go and drill a well in Alberta and two miles across the across the Northwest Territories border. And in Alberta, it would take you weeks. And in, uh, in uh, Northwest Territories, it would take you months. Now, I, I have a feeling that we don't have quite such an advantage in that area anymore. And certainly it can take forever in British Columbia. But uh, this is actually, there's one area where it would pay us to be good. It would be in getting the Drilling companies moving and moving fast. You want to be competitive. You want to make it. You want to be the province that leads. That's the area where you want to lead. If you make it easier for a business to set up, it's just logical that more businesses will be set up. Well, that's you right. You know, build it and they will come. Type thing. When the, when the energy industry does well, everybody does well. So lead with that. Yeah, well, back in the 90s when I was in the oil field, there were two nice visible examples of how well that worked out with being open for business in a sense, because Alberta was flanked by NDP governments in BC and in Saskatchewan. And, uh, you know, you'd look at Lloyd Minster, right down the middle of it, there's the border. <coughs> and you looked at the industrial area developing off to the west. On the Alberta mm -hmm. side, it was just going and going and going great guns. guns. On the east side, you had a motel, I think the postal, <laughs> and a few other things, like the growth with a city that should be bisected, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe grows somewhat equally. No, no, it was dramatically sticking to the Alberta side. And that's because the businesses were realizing the regulations. All the dollar stores and the cash loans. Yeah, not necessarily yeah. nice things, but all the same, they are businesses. And likewise yeah, in BC, yeah. I used to survey seismic projects <laughs> up in the Chinchaga mm -hmm. area. And there's a big cut line on the BC Alberta border. And that's where I would survey and stake out the boundary of our program, literally to the inch, right to the BC border where we would not step foot an inch. <clears throat> onto that side because suddenly the costs and uh, regulations went through the roof. So uh, but, you know, we see those things. If, if Premier Smith is really opening Alberta up more to encourage, you know, that development here, we will certainly bring in those uh, investment refugees from the other regions and provinces. So, Okay. Well, let's, um, 
get on to, I guess, something a little more global and a little more national, though, and, and just the, the ugliness we've been seeing uh, on the, the streets of Canada, around the world. We're seeing it in the United States. We're seeing it in Michigan. We're seeing it in everywhere. It's just this, this, this rise of, of anti-Semitism. I mean, I'm going to start with a bit of a rant on it because people keep saying being critical of Israel isn't anti-Semitism. No, it isn't. But celebrating a terrorist attack, slaughtering thousands of Israelis is. People saying protesting against Israel isn't anti-Semitism. No, it isn't. But having a mob go outside of a Jewish daycare center and intimidating parents and children is. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the examples just keep coming. There's a, a function happened a couple of days in Toronto with a Palestinian group saying, glory to our martyrs, where they're going to get together and celebrate the terrorists who murdered babies, raped women, and committed horrible acts of atrocity and torture. I just get sick of the people trying to soft sell this and say, well, this is just about Palestine and talk criticizing Israel. It is not. I mean, we're seeing an ugly head rear itself that's been kind of underground for a while. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better, uh, Corey. I've never seen anything like it uh, in my lifetime. Uh, uh, academia is also uh, seems to be a, a place where the, the left is celebrating uh, uh, the, the Hamas uh, attacks. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Jewish daycare. There was a Jewish... Uh, uh, restaurant that was picketed. Uh, they've been packed to the gills ever since, so uh, uh, that, that certainly backfired. We've had protests in, uh, in Calgary where Israeli supporters were arrested and, 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 and taken away. And, you know, uh, Palestinians by the thousands marching in, uh, uh, in uh, Toronto in, in support of Hamas. And you look at the way Canada, the government, is handling it, and then you look at the way uh, governments in Europe uh, are handling it. Uh, whereas, you know, like in uh, places like Germany and France, they're making it easier for Hamas supporters to be deported. Uh, you know, go back there then, where, where you came from. In, uh, in Great Britain, police have been ordered to arrest people, you know, with... Uh, Islamic flags and, and and stuff like that, but none of that stuff is is, is happening in Canada. You don't see a any sort of uh, pushback really against the left. Uh, I'll give the uh, the Ontario Ford government credit. Uh, they all went and had their caucus lunch at that Jewish restaurant in uh, in Toronto. But uh, you know, union leaders. I mean, they're falling over themselves to support uh, Hamas. Uh, I, I just don't get it. Yeah, as you said, these are are bloodthirsty terrorists, the like we have never seen before. Uh, Israel brought in 400 foreign reporters and, and showed them 40 minutes of unedited Hamas footage that they took uh, doing these atrocities. And the reporters were just sick to their stomachs, they were in tears. Uh, so how anybody from a, a university professor to a union leader uh, to a... Uh, 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 multicultural you know, multi Canada can support this is beyond beggar's belief. Well, you My know, rant over. Well, that may not be completely over yet because uh, you have you've touched on a number of things there, uh, Dave. But you you sort of you want you say you wonder how anybody could uh, can could be that way, but I think it was Aldous Huxley who who made the. Uh, uh, I found it. Here we are. The surest way to work up a crusade in favor of some good cause is to promise people 
that they will have a chance of maltreating somebody else. To be able to destroy with a good conscience, to be able to behave badly and call your bad behavior righteous indignation, this is the height of psychological luxury, wrote Huxley, the most delicious of moral treats. That's in chrome yellow. Now, when you look at it like that, it being anti-Israel gives certain people uh, an easy ticket to what they think is the moral high ground. How they continue to think of it after you saw what Hamas did and what the effect must be on a Jewish parent when their child's daycare is surrounded by angry people shouting bloodthirsty slogans, I, I can't imagine. It's, uh, it's just a horrifying situation. Uh, but we let it go on because we're afraid to stop it. We're afraid to actually name it for what it is, as Huxley does, as a deep moral failing in the nation. This isn't about trying to sort out who's right and who's wrong over the occupation of some territory. It's about the nastiness of people who have no direct stake in it. Because if you live in Canada, you do not have a direct and personal stake in the outcome of what's happening over there. But you do have the obligation to be a decent citizen. And we've been quiet on it. I mean, if I was upset with what the Venezuelan government was doing, yeah. but I decided the way I'm going to deal with this is by taking mobs out and screaming at diners at a Venezuelan restaurant or, you know, uh, ripping down Venezuelan flags. I would probably be charged under one of Canada's hate crime acts or probably. something of the sort for targeting, yeah. you know, even though there's plenty to critique about the Venezuelan government. If I'm going to target Venezuelan people here over it, though, I've crossed a big line. You sure have. And, and that's what's happening. There's been reports now of mezuzahs being torn off doors. For people unfamiliar with that, observant Jews will put a, it's got a scroll actually in a little box and uh, it's, it's, it's affixed to a door pointing inwards. And uh, if, you, if you remember watching uh, uh, Fiddler on the Roof, you might notice every time they walk in the door, they touch the fingers to it and kiss the mezuzah on the way in the door. But it's a, it's a symbol. Let's you know if you've got an observant Jewish household, you'll see a mezuzah on the door. Is, and, that, uh, is that the thing on your office door? No. <laughs> Around here. <laughs> observant Jews. So, uh, <laughs> but I mean, that's a frightening way of intimidation as well. That's also kind of a way of saying, we know where you live. Mm -hmm. We know where you work. And, yeah, and, uh, and certainly Jewish families have been taking that stuff down out of uh, you know, out of their, their own safety. You know, they're, yeah. they're concerned. But uh, an Orthodox <laughs> Jew or, or uh, a Hasidic Jew, I mean, they're, they're going to, they can't, while continuing to be observant, go on the streets, you know, and hide uh, their religious uh, beings. So they, they might stay inside. It's just... and, and the problem is it's going to get worse. Uh, the, the war in Hamas is going to be incredibly violent, incredibly bloody and incredibly costly on both sides. Uh, so, you know, you're going to have the the, uh, the weekly pro-Hamas demonstrations, and those demonstrators are going to get angrier and angrier as more and more Gazans are killed. So the time to put the foot down legally, though, and it's difficult. I mean, with the protests waving Palestinian flags in the streets, that's free expression. I, I don't like, perhaps, the side they're taking, but that in itself isn't crossing the line. It's when they start chanting from river to sea, and again, not, not everybody necessarily understands what that reference means. But what it means is from the river in Jordan on the West Bank all the way to Gaza on the sea. And they want to wipe every Jew out of the middle and turn it all into the land of Palestinian. It, it's a call for genocide. 
So you, you cross a line from, again, waving those flags, but, but how do police separate the fly poop from the pepper? When you got the, a thousand people out there waving those flags and 200 of them are of that nature, how do you can't cancel the whole project? It's a difficult situation. It's very difficult. And it's, you know, it looks like the conflict is, is set to widen. You've got uh, U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria being uh, shelled. Uh, there's a report today in the Wall Street Journal I was telling Nigel about earlier uh, that the, some of the Hamas fighters that, that did the attack went to Iran for, for, for training. Uh, so you got to think the American administration is, is, you know, thinking about what to do to try and, you know, if you're talking about taking the, the uh, head off the snake, the head is a ram. That is what a lot of people fear. And I, I think there's, again, legitimate critique. I mean, I think a lot of people, whatever you might think of Israel, they want to keep this contained there as horrific as it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we start seeing American strikes into Iran or, or you know, Syria or any of those neighboring, this could really turn into yeah, a much Yeah, but it problem. may not be Israel's decision if Americans keep being attacked well, no. and uh, missiles kept being shot towards their ships in, in the sea there. Uh, you know, the, the Americans are right now madly rushing to get uh, uh, defensive systems in the area, you know, the uh, like the Iron Dome stuff, uh, to, to be able to protect their own. And, uh, you know, and all it takes is half a dozen U.S. troops to be killed in a, in a, in a blast, and they have to respond. They, you know, they would have to take revenge on somebody. Mm -hmm. The time to call out the hate is now. Yes. Uh, and I wrote a column It's going to be out a Sunday on a bit of this. And pointing back to World <laughs> War II, I mean, I certainly wasn't born yet, but all of these similar warning signs were happening. The anti-Semitism was springing up. The, the atrocities were beginning to happen at the end of the 30s and into the early 40s. But people in North America, they would question and deny every bit of it. Oh, that's not really happening. That's not going on out there. And, of course, the horrors that actually were happening because people were shielding themselves from it, uh, you know, became worse. We could have perhaps, I mean, there was a big front to fight, but uh, intervened earlier if people had actually believed what was going on. Uh, we get these denials. But, I mean, I just think you know, people need to watch, you know, the, the extent of how much they have to dehumanize somebody. That's what's happening. They, they don't believe that the Jewish victims are human. And you hear some of the, the, the things from Hamas where they, you know, they had the GoPros on. I mean, the, the reporters watched it. And, and uh, one of the stories where they blew up with a hand grenade, the father of two children, and then were casually uh, in the kitchen while the two children were there, mortified, crying and horrified after the murder of their father. And they're drinking water from the fridge from the family's house. Like these, they, they don't believe their victims are human. Mm. And that's the most dangerous dangerous and horrible attitude to take with well, anybody. <clears throat> that's usually the first thing that you do when you go to war with somebody is try and point out how absolutely worthless the, the people on the other side really well, are. And, and that risk can go both ways. Yeah. I mean, the rage and horror of Israeli IDF members, I mean, that builds the vengeance and atrocities will be committed by IDF members when they get in, which could be mistargeted onto innocent Palestinians who got caught in the middle. I mean, that's the nature of a such a horrific conflict as this. Yep, there, there are, and that's the key to keep in mind, there are innocent people on both sides. And uh, there, a lot of them are going to get killed, already have been killed uh, in those terror strikes and, and in, in Gaza. You know, the, the, the thing, coming back to where we started on this, though, is how surprising it is that it is the left that has made anti-Semitism its own. I mean, before the Second World War, it tended to be 
I don't, I don't really buy the spectrum of left, right. So if much, you're going to call it such, it was the fascist. It, it, it would the, be the fascist, yeah. and it would be the, the rightist, you know. And uh, and if you were a good communist, you you weren't on their side, so you supported the. You you were not anti-Semitic. In fact, the many of the uh, leaders in the communist world were of Jewish origin. Marx was a Jew. Mar Lenin, Lenin, Trotsky. You know, it goes on. So you get to the. Um, so now you come to a situation where it's completely gone the other way, and you wonder, well, how did that happen? And uh, here in Canada, we have the, the spectacle of the unions. Now, what the hell has Israel got to do with wages for the working man, you know? And yet the unions are united in not merely their opposition to Israel, but their hatred of Israel. You see the stuff that comes comes out. And I have to think that, speaking strictly from the, from, of the unions for a moment, that that is a, a, a um, that's a consequence of the fact that they're no longer really about what we think they're about, which is wages and conditions for the working man. They're long gone from that. Long gone yeah. from that. And you know what? The, most of the really big, powerful unions, there are exceptions, but most of the big, powerful ones are public sector unions. So they're completely divorced from the normal uh, levers of supply, demand, uh, you know, there are certain considerations Reality, that industrial it? world very much. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> industrial unions have to have to be aware of. Totally, totally not uh, part of the union equation at all when you're representing civil servants. So, this is a, I think, is a, a consequence of the long march through the institutions, which has been gathering steam for sixty or seventy years. We've had our. Universities taken over by activists. We've had our, and you can sure see them out there today, celebrating for Hamas. They have taught the next generation of teachers, and the next ten generation of teachers has taught the next generation of kids. Where you'll find young people who couldn't even find Gaza on a map chanting death to Israel. And, and the cognitive dissonance that they're exercising, Fred Hahn with, you know, was the most odious of them online. He's a union head from Ontario with the yeah. Canadian Union of Public Employees. He's an openly gay man celebrating Hamas. Like, what, what, where do you not realize that the people you're celebrating will torture and kill you if they get half a chance? The only thing they hate more than Jews are gay people like you, or perhaps a gay Jew. And, and this whole thing with, I don't understand the left's hatred of Israel. The entire Middle East, look around, it's a human rights cesspool. It's, it's theocracies, there's no democracies. You've got one little beacon that holds elections, one little beacon that allows, you know, Tel Aviv is, is got the biggest, you know, open gay population in, in the entire Middle East where they can safely live their lives and enjoy themselves. And, and you know, Golda Meir was elected as the prime minister of Israel what, 40, 50 years ago, and the left despises them. I, I don't get it. I don't understand. You would think this is the one spot you guys should be celebrating. You want to see that spread into the Arab nations nearby that are oppressing women and gay people and people in general. But they don't. They they, they hate the freedom. And I don't. I just don't get it. Well, that probably that's probably a parallel to what we were just talking about. What is in it for Canadian unions? to support Hamas has got nothing to do with worker conditions. What has it got to do with the international left to hate Israel so much? 
maybe it's not really Israel that's the issue. Maybe there's something else that they're that they're going after. And Israel is like when you attack the little Satan, you attack the great Satan. There's some degree of that. Is Israel's tightly related to the United States yeah. as, as far as that concern goes? And and uh, you know, states have been a, the bastion of capitalism around the world for for quite some time, but. I don't think this is helping take down the great. I'm thinking aloud here, Corey. It's, uh, I, I, I just, uh, like you, I, I struggle with saying, well, why would people? It's just the oldest ancient, you know, the ancient moral failing is hating the, hating the Jews. Yeah, there was there was some video of uh, students at a university tearing down the the missing posters of, of the hostages, mm -hmm. and they were asked, "Why are you doing it?" And they said, "Well, Israel started it." They are just by existing, yeah? Exactly. Yeah. Well, we're going to be watching and commenting on this for a long time yet. I mean, not just this conflict, even 10 years from now, 20 years from now. I, I hate to say it, but as long as the Temple Mount is in there and as long as there's one Jew and as long as there's one Arab, they're going to be at each other's throats over that piece of dirt. And I don't know how we'll ever, maybe our grandchildren will see the end of this mess over there. That's what your grandparents said. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Isn't it? Oh, well, well, let's get a little less dreary, uh, though still uh, inflammatory. The, the fight's going on again back domestic. Uh, it ties in a bit to the state of the province things, and uh, the, the, the knives have sort of come out uh, figuratively between Gilbo and uh, Schultz. Yeah, they just can't seem to help themselves. You know, they, they always talk about, uh, you know, we've got to negotiate in private and in good faith and, and dignified. And they go back and they get on their cell phones and they start tweeting nasty stuff. Uh, today it was uh, Environment Minister Federally, Gilbo, uh, mocking his uh, provincial counterpart, Rebecca Schultz. Uh, it's, it's, all, it's all on the electricity stuff and the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Fed's plans, which is going to cost trillions of dollars. And Alberta pointing that out and saying, no, we're not going to do it. And, and it, it's just a back and forth, bickering, childish thing that you would expect, you wouldn't expect government officials no, to be the doing. to do on that. Yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> and if you're going to do it, do it privately. Send them private uh, messages. Don't do it on X, formerly known as Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, they just cannot help themselves. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's Gilbo's ideology versus Alberta's cold, hard facts, so to speak. And it's, who do you believe? Well, you know, Churchill once put it very well that a fanatic is somebody who not only won't change his mind, but won't change the subject. And I think that is our environment. To You're good on quotes today. Really? Oh, yeah, it looks like you went to university or something. <laughs> Just had time on my hands and read idle books. But yes. No. Um, I, the, the, he's known as the green Jesus for a reason. Yeah, yeah. he's uh, he, he obviously can't think of anything else. And... Uh, it's the only thing that matters to him, politically. So he can't leave it alone. I mean, Trudeau is not far behind them, though. I mean, no, if a cabinet minister is going off the handle and doing these things, if the government was embarrassed by it or upset with the discourse, they would have reeled him in and said, "Hey, hey, hey, hang on, let's." But there, nobody seems to be stopping. No, I feel like Great Britain's been the latest country to backtrack on their green promises, saying it's not realistic. Uh, even the, I, I don't understand the political mentality because they're in poll freefall, right? Surely they must be smart enough to realize, hey, maybe some of the stuff we're doing, carbon taxes and things like that, are contributing to the, to the uh, 
uh, to the downfall. But right now, they're on pace to be electorally decimated you know, in, in all parts of the country if they don't, things don't change. You know, Dave, you, you would think that, but here's, a, here's a, an alternative explanation. Another quote coming up? Uh, just, give me, just give me a few more minutes. Oh, okay. But uh, this is the, look, they know they're going to, they know they're past the point of no return. They're not going to get elected. They may not even last the two years. It all depends on, on, uh, Jagmeet. Jagmeet, yeah. You can break something that will take somebody else 20 years to rebuild in a week. And I think that they think, well, we've got, we've got the reins of office. We have the chance to make our green dream come true. And if you are a single-minded ideologue, as Mr. Gilbo appears to be, I don't know the man personally, I can't say that he is, but from his public presentation and his lack of interest in any other subject, I have to assume that he is of the mind that we can just finally put in place a set of regulations that will so destroy the interest in investing in natural gas, not just in Alberta, but anywhere. And then that will be, that'll be okay. The conservatives can have it after that because they won't be able to put back together what we have taken apart. It's a little bit like the pipelines. Once you've actually removed the National Energy Board from Calgary and put it in, in uh, central Canada, once you have actually chased away the companies that could build pipelines, that's not coming back quickly, if ever. So they're going to spend their last years doing the things that they hadn't got done yet. Damn the consequences. Won't be our problem. It'll be somebody else's. But we at least will leave office believing that we have done everything that we could as good global citizens. And if it didn't work for Canada, well, we'll they'll, they'll thank us one day. You, you just described a nightmare, a nightmare <laughs> scenario. A scorched yeah. earth approach. Scorched earth and approach. Right. Yeah, I mean that. That's well, prove me wrong. Well, I can't at the moment, uh, but uh, I, I fear you're correct. Um, you, you know, they may have just looked at the polls and said, uh, "Yeah, we're done," and do exactly what what, what you just said. Terrifying. Well, it's kind of a, that's one of the hazards that happens in countries where there's term limits. You know, mm -hmm. that's one of the discussions between you know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Sometimes politicians outstay their welcome, but. Well, often you get there, they know the clock's ticking on their final year. Well, now's the time for the patronage appointments or ideological moves or things like that because they've got nothing to lose any longer. It's, uh, it's frightening to me that the, the, the fate of the country's future rests with one Jagmeet Singh. He could end all this tomorrow, uh, but he won't. The good news, of course, is that they, the longest it can go on is two years. And Smith is in place another three and a half. So uh, she will has a good chance of outlasting this government. And as long as she and Bolivar don't fall out over the pension, but I do have some hope that they would work together good. And he's, when you see political play in the way it works, I mean, it, especially if there's going to be a growing adversarial relationship between Alberta and Ottawa, and if it's effective in, in Ottawa, at least in, in building an anti-Alberta sentiment in, in Toronto and, and Montreal, 
Polyev is going to have a tough task because, I mean, his space is here. His donors are here. He won't lose the election here, but he could really you know, make the party dysfunctional if he seems to be pandering too much to central Canada. He's got quite the, the juggling act on his hands ahead of him. But uh, not to be that kind of, kind of dork as well, but uh, under our system, actually, I know they say the election would be two years from now, but he could make it three. Uh, they, they've, they've, uh, it's five years you can get, potentially, and uh, four is usually accepted, and I mm -hmm. think they made their fixed election date legislation, but we know you can just repeal yeah. that any time you, yeah. you please. But it's, it's interesting to see, you know, X, you know, formerly Twitter, what's been neat, but perhaps not productive, we get to see the candid views of politicians we never saw 20 years ago. And we know that these are the real ones behind those accounts. You can tell by the tweets. Trudeau, you can tell there's not enough spelling errors. It's not him. It's an aide or somebody who's running that account. Mm -hmm. But Gilbo's putting his own stuff out there. Uh, it makes for good political entertainment, but I don't know if it's a productive way to have our ministers behaving, I guess. Yeah. Well, Harper was very, uh, did his best to discourage ministers actually taking the phone and doing it themselves because some of them weren't very good at it. Well, uh, no, but uh, nobody's won an election on Twitter, but a lot of people have lost them on yeah, Twitter. That's, <laughs> for, that's for sure. Well, we had a wonderful, I remember it was one of those situations where the day was done and there was half a dozen people in the room just sitting listening to, you know, as he sort of downloaded and, and he said, you know, Twitter is a wonderful communications tool. Do you want to think out what you're going to say, say it, and then switch off the machine and walk away. Don't get involved in in the, the fighting that goes on, which is exactly what Mr. Gilboa is doing right now. He's, you know, he's, yeah, he's, he's mixing he's, it up. He's been a, a troll, for heaven's sake. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, this this may not end well for him. No, there's a hazard when, when you're on there going at it that you could say something unintentionally or even intentionally, but crosses a line. Mm -hmm. And as the old statement goes, the internet's forever. I mean, if you put out something that's beyond the pale and it's up on Twitter for more than a couple seconds, somebody will have screenshotted it and is going to share it no matter how much you delete or retract. So, yeah, I mean, you're on a on a uh, late night meeting. You've had a couple of glasses of wine. Oh, I got a text, Rebecca. Uh, a silly little woman. Oh, yeah, that'll be it for him. Well, and likewise, Rebecca Schultz is going to yes, be careful exactly. as well. But I mean, it's. Uh, Kind of to wrap up, we only have a few minutes left, but it comes to the how. So if we got two years, we got ticking, but how can the industries be defended against a government that's acting like it has nothing to lose? Well, I think the first step is actually the, the Sovereignty Act that we've been talking about all along. Just say, no, we're not doing it. Sue us. Well, but with a private investor, would that comfort them enough to say, okay, I'm going to open up my wallet because Premier Smith has said she's going to invoke the sovereignty? No. See, that scares them away even if... It does, but get past that next election, a different administration in Ottawa. I mean, if there isn't a different administration in Ottawa, <laughs> let's let's just sort of... I'll work on things. <laughs> turn turn yeah. out the lights. Let's uh, rent a U-Haul and head for Wyoming. But, uh, you know, it's... This so much depends on just getting past, dragging it out until you, you get past the next election and hope you've got a different crew to deal with in Ottawa. Yeah, you know, the problem is these big companies, they've got all their, they've got their capital expenses and they're looking at it and yeah, it would be, it would be tough to, a tough 
sell to the shareholders that they're going to invest X number of billions in Alberta? Well, it would be, but Smith is already on record that if they can't get anybody else to do it, they'll figure figure out a way, and maybe it'll be public ownership again, or it'll be a it'll be a con contract between the government and well, backstopping loan the, guarantees yeah, or things such as that, which never worked work well for Keystone. No. Uh, well, it, it ain't a good business plan, but if it gets something built that actually works and keeps the lights on, then it has done its job. Well, I guess it, it kind of comes full circle to our very first topic where, where Premier Smith was very much focused on Alberta being the place to invest, the place to mm -hmm. do business, the safe place to come in, spend your dollars, make your money. I, I guess, you know, that, that kind of ties in with that tactic then. We're going to assure you, you know, hold on, a couple of years, yep. don't worry about those guys over there. We'll make sure your investments are secure here. Please come here. Drill those holes and lay that pipe. Yeah, and I think sure the message was aimed at a, a much broader audience than the oil and gas companies too, right? Mm -hmm. She's talking about all the you know small businesses and uh, non-oil and gas businesses that uh, you know Alberta's open, ready for business, and the best place to do business. Um, you know, it, it it actually has been. It's always been a pretty pretty good place to do business. Even the very fact that you've got a you know, a fixed uh, income tax rate is, is a great attraction to people. They know exactly where they stand. But um, notwithstanding the fact that they had a, they put a couple of pastors in jail, my recollection of uh, life under COVID was that of all the places in Canada where you'd, uh, where you wanted to be while that was going on, Alberta was probably the best place to be. And just look at the migration figures from yeah, the Stats yeah. Canada. Record migration every month. Mm -hmm. So the message is getting out, the message is being listened to, and we're, you know, we've got a deluge of newcomers, and welcome to them. People are voting with their feet. And that's a good note, you know, we're still the destination to be. Keep coming on out, guys. You're more than welcome here in Alberta. We want you to here to make a family and a life and a job and a career and a future with us. It's always been the nature of Alberta, and I think uh, we'll carry it on. So that sort of wraps things up for today. We should wrap up on a positive note. With a quote from Nigel, you got an inspirational positive quote? Well, I was just reminded how it used to be the national anthem was Alberta bound. So there you are. Okay. Well, Dave, Nigel, thank you very much. And thank Pleasure. all of you guys for tuning in and uh, keep going to the Western Standard for your news, guys, and you'll get a hint of what we're going to be discussing next week, which I'm sure will be a earth-shattering importance. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all next week at this time. The current Lethbridge feed grain prices are as follows. Cash barley's at 342, feed wheat's at 350, and corn's trading at 338 per metric ton. In the milling meat markets, December Minneapolis futures are down seven and a quarter cents at 721 per bushel, with local hard red spring bids for November movement at 960 per bushel. In the oil seeds, Nearby canola futures increased $4.60 at $6.90.40 per ton, with delivered values for November-December movement at $15.63 per bushel. In the pulse markets, nearby red lentils are lower at $0.35 cents a pound, and yellow peas remain at $10.75 per bushel. In the cattle markets, December live cattle gained a dollar at $1.79.62 per 100 weight. For more information on grain marketing, call me at 403-394-1711. I'm Sean Smith at Marketplace Commodities, accurate real-time marketing information and pricing options. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines 
helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. To become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.